Christian Family Esquire. Hi. How are you today? I'm excellent. This is a different angle for me because you're a lawyer. This mm-hmm. is an attorney. Most people associate attorneys and lawyers and the law as as in a negative light. Mm-hmm. Um, especially nowadays with certain circumstances in, in the media. With that said, this is different because you're approaching it in a different angle. That's right. Um, can you explain, first of all, what you specialize in? Absolutely. Well, I am Christian family, mm-hmm. and that really is my name. That's a fun story, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm a twice-divorced adult child of divorce, recovering divorce lawyer for nearly 20 years, okay. now turned divorce coach, right? What I found in my experience is that is what you're saying. Like people have a bad connotation about lawyers. Mm-hmm. People have a really bad look at divorce, you know, and I kind of see myself as like divorce's PR person. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I'm going to remove the the stigma from divorce. Like everybody's looking at it like it's so destructive and it's all about loss, but that's not true. Mm-hmm. You know, it's really an opportunity, a chance to create new things. Start over. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um. So looking back on your life and Mm -hmm. and your experiences, what drove you initially towards law school and going in that field? (laughs) Listen, this is one of my favorite stories of all time. All right. Hope you got a couple minutes, right? So when I went to college, Mm -hmm. I wanted to be a math teacher. I wanted to teach algebra because I feel like that's where we lose people, especially the girls. It's something about when you add the letters in with the numbers, it's a wrap, you know? So I had a mission, right? I was going to save math. You'll see a theme. I'm always trying to save something. So that was my mission. I go to a small um, private university, liberal arts, in the University of Rochester in upstate New York. There's no way to graduate in four years and be a math teacher. I'd have to stay a fifth year and get a master's in teaching. My undergraduate degree would have been in math. Is that normal? It's it's that liberal arts thing. Okay. Right. Exactly. Right. I didn't see it coming. Of course, at my fourth semester of calculus... Multidimensional analysis. All of a sudden, I was like, I had to cry uncle. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's it. I can't, I can no longer integrate. I can't differentiate. I can't think of more than three dimensions, right? So I had to give up math. So now I can't be a math teacher. Mm -hmm. What am I going to do? I end up with a degree in English literature because that's what I could do and graduate in four years. And I didn't know what to do with that. And so I figured I'd just keep going to school. And so I'm talking to my mom. I was like, well, I'm going to get a social work degree, right? I love people. I want to save people. I want to change the world, you know? So I'm applying to the Mandel School of um, Applied Social Sciences, Case Western Reserve in, in Cleveland. I'm from Cleveland, you know, nostalgia, this whole thing. My mother, who at the time was in a master's PhD program at the University of Pittsburgh in history, she's kind of like, mm, I don't know about this master's in social work. May not be worth the paper that is written on, you know, consider two degrees. Mm-hmm. I was like, Okay. She was like, yeah, maybe a master's and a PhD, a master's and an MBA, something, you know? I was like, okay, cool. So I'm flipping through the book. (gasps) Oh, look, mom, right? Like I'm not 20 years old. Mom, look, they have a dual degree, social work and law. What do you think? She said, oh yeah, that sounds good. Cool. So now I got a plan, right? So I go back to college, my senior year. I say to my best friend at the time, Natoya, who's been wanting to be a lawyer since she was five. I said, hey, so I'm going to go to law school now. She caught her breath. And <laughs> she says, okay, so here's what we're going to do. And she teaches me about the LSAT, blah, blah, blah. So incidentally, to get... So she was already on the track to become... Yes. Or she was already an attorney. Well, no, she was. She just knew what it took okay. in a way that I had no idea. Like, all I didn't right. know she's there was a law school interest exam. She's already done all the exam. research. And, right. Yeah. She's done all the research. Exactly. So yeah. I just tapped into that knowledge. You yeah. got me. All right. And so incidentally, to get into the dual degree program, you had to apply to both programs separately. Right now, when you hear about people applying to law school, people apply to a lot of law schools. Mm-hmm. I applied to one because I wasn't really trying to go to law school. Yeah, I just didn't want to only have a master's in social work. You know, anyway, I'm accepted into law school like by the end of January. The social work application wasn't even due until March. I was like, shit, I'll be a lawyer. There you go. And here we are. <laughs> <laughs> and here we are. So you went to Case Western, got mm-hmm. got your degree, and got uh, you took the bar, bar. Mm-hmm. and here we are. And We're an we attorney, are. and that was yeah. what, like about how, twenty years ago. Twenty years ago, and you've been mm-hmm. practicing ever since. I've or? been practicing just about ever since. So let's see. I my first gig out of law school, I was in AmeriCorps, 
right? We're just kind of like the Peace Corps before this country and for lawyers. I was mm-hmm. in um, southeastern Ohio, Appalachia, right? Right. Consider myself an Afro-Latian if you ever met one. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, those are my people, you yeah, know? I, so <laughs> I know what you're talking about. Right. So I'm down there. I did that. And then what happened? I prosecuted for a couple of years. And then since 2005, mm-hmm. I've just owned my own law practice. Right. I made a run for judge in 2010, which was kind of fun. And I'm glad I lost because in hindsight, that's really too much like having a job. Do you know what I mean? Like those judges have to be there every day. I imagine it's probably like having a job. Right. And who wants a job? Not me. Clocking in. Right. Dishing out sentences. See what I'm saying? Yeah. Too much. Right. So that being said, that worked out for me as is not working out for me. Um, I made this really crazy and unorthodox jump shortly after that. And decided to become a stay-at-home mom. So at the age of like 36, having never had children, only been a career woman, I was like, forget it. I'm going to turn all my tensions and my energies into raising this little girl, yeah. you know, which was really awesome until I got pregnant with my second son. And I was like, hey, I'd rather practice law. You know what? That's definitely easier than being a stay-at-home Is it mom with two kids. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Well, I've raised my daughter myself for the most part. Uh, mm-hmm. I've had a little bit of help here and there, and I know the feeling, uh, but I wasn't staying at home. See? Yeah. yeah, it's the stay at home. It's this whole other place you are in your mind. Like you should always be doing more, doing something, and you're not yeah. really sure why you don't have any energy and just, mm-hmm. oh. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't uh, say that I understand what it's like, but I can mm-hmm. kind of see what it's like. Mm-hmm. So you you went from the hustle and bustle of helping people get divorced for nearly 20 years Mm -hmm. or 15 or whatever Mm -hmm. to, what did you say that was 2016? No. Oh, oh, when was that? That was 2012. That was 2012 and I took two years off from 2012 to 2014. Then when I went back and like restarted my practice in 2015, that was when I knew... I first started um, personal development and like mindset training because it was like, if I'm going to go back to being an entrepreneur, I'm going to do it in a way that really benefits me, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And so it was getting my mind ready for that. And so these last five years have been really exciting, a lot to talk about. And then there happened the name change and the TED talk and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And oh, I can't wait to hear about that. Right. It culminated in COVID-19 and me realizing that this law firm is limiting to me. Um, it lets me help people one-on-one with the legal part of divorce. And I know for a fact that the legal part of divorce is only like one-sixth of the entire picture. And where people go wrong is they put all their weight on that one part of the divorce. There's so much more. Right. And so I need to step away altogether from the practice of law. I'll talk about burn that bridge behind me. I can't go back. And I'm 100% out here to remove that stigma from divorce to help the people understand really what it is. Okay. Wait a minute. What, what is divorce? Okay. And what is the stigma exactly? Mm. I love it when you ask me these questions. (laughs) (laughs) So the stigma is that you don't want to do it, Mm -hmm. right? You don't want to get divorced. You know, I can tell you um, a story, right? So my own parents divorced when I was seven years old. And the only thing I knew about divorce is that I didn't want to get one, right? That's the thing that you know. You don't want to get a divorce. Right. Even as a divorce lawyer for the first few years when I was getting um, abused women uh, protection orders and divorces from their abusive husbands. Yeah. Even then, I was still kind of judgmental about divorce. Like, I knew these ladies needed divorces. They got divorces because, well, they'd made bad decisions, right? They married the wrong man. They were still kind of a tone. Well, they were duped. How about that? Mm -hmm. Right. So there's still kind of a feeling to that. Um, But the underlying thought was that if you'd pick right and you worked hard and you tried harder, you know, then divorce, you know, you wouldn't get divorced. Yeah. And I got married then afterwards. And I was confident, of course, that I'd never get divorced. That was the most important thing in the world to me Mm -hmm. until shortly before our third anniversary. When he says to me, I don't know if I want to be married to you anymore. Wow. I don't love you the way a husband should love a wife. Was it devastating? It was. It was. like It's like in the movies when you see the people laying on the floor and the people have to pick them up. And... <laughs> wow. I'm so sorry. Yeah, it was rough, right? Yeah. I, and... I know. It's, it's, it's a shocker. It was a shocker. <laughs> right? Oh, my God. So 
he spent a lot of time and invested a lot of energy in something that all of a sudden is like, why are you saying this right now? Because you're not supposed to be saying it. It was exactly that, right? It was like, why are you saying this right now? And I was so blind mm -hmm. to the possibility of a divorce or the marriage ending that I was like, well, thanks for sharing this with me. Yeah. You know, so what are we going to do about it? <laughs> you right. know, like, so what's the plan? How are we going to change you? Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You got because me. I don't need to change. No, no, clearly you're the problem. I've been the same, and all of a sudden you come up with this crazy talk. You understand people, yes, yeah. <laughs> right? So, right. But it was in that divorce mm -hmm. that I realized I st I stopped being judgmental about it, and I realized that divorce can happen to you. It doesn't matter how much you don't want to be divorced. It doesn't matter how hard you work at it. It takes two people committed to it. And sometimes the other person just isn't committed to it. And it doesn't mean that you've done anything wrong. It didn't mean that I'd necessarily done anything wrong. Yeah. Do you know? Um, yeah. Things fade. Things fade. Things change. There was um, an underlying dishonesty uh, in that marriage. And I don't attribute it all to him, mm -hmm. right? Because I participated. I was dishonest about a lot of things, just choosing not to know things, you know, seeing right. things and choosing not to to see them because I wanted it to be a certain way. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's called blind love. Is that what they call it? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was doing that. <laughs> over and over and over, right? It's like, holy God. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so the, the underlying, your question was, right, what's the stigma of divorce? And the big thing is that people just don't want to do it. And what it does is it causes people, um, in my experience, to then make decisions that are against their better interest because their commitment is to not being divorced as opposed to being in a happy, healthy marriage, as opposed to being a happy, healthy person, you know, as opposed mm -hmm. to going after what they want after having peace of mind. Instead, the focus is on what they don't want. I don't want to be divorced. I don't want the judgment that comes with that, the questions, all of these things that I don't want. And so now I'm diminishing myself inside of this marriage. Yeah. Well, you know, I actually saw, it might have been in like in a comment of uh, maybe a Reddit forum or something. I just remember seeing somebody arguing about marriage and somebody was like, don't you think it's about time that we just call it quits on the whole marriage thing? Mm. You know, like marriage, that's what it was. Marriage originally was ownership. I think it may have been a TED talk, actually. Mm, it might have been. And it, it's like, it, it really made me think, like, you know, uh, in other cultures, mm -hmm. that's the way it still is. Uh -huh. And here, when you look at it, it kind of still, it's still the same way. It's like it's ownership. It's, I mean, some people... I admit, are like, why can't I have that? You know what I mean? It's like, daggone, they're doing something right. You know? Mm -hmm. that's, but, a, that's my statistic. One in two marriages stands the test of time. <laughs> See? Everybody <laughs> wants to say one in two marriages ends in divorce. But yeah. really, one in two marriages stands the test of time, which is yeah. part of my message, is that no marriage isn't the problem. There are true, authentic, beautiful marriages out there, like true, honest diamonds. Yeah. The problem is a lot of people, what they don't have is a diamond. What they have is a cubic zirconia. What they have is a piece of glass. And you can't treat a piece of glass like a diamond. They're not Some the people same. got a piece of coal. How about that? And they just need to rub it and rub <laughs> it and like... Put some pressure on it. Grind away <laughs> at it. Put some pressure. Right. Yeah. But yeah, that's the, that's the thing. I, I believe wholeheartedly in marriage. Mm -hmm. And I think part of the reason that people are losing respect for marriage and, and the institution mm -hmm. um, is because people are staying in them too long or doing the wrong thing. Well, I think, um, you know, you're not a clinical psychologist. You're not a marriage counselor, but you've got the hindsight mm -hmm. to be able to witness on how things have not worked yes. enough to know how things might work better. Yes. Um, with that said, what have you seen that actually could be a more productive outlook mm -hmm. 
on a successful marriage. Mm-hmm. Well, I can. Do you have a recipe? I do. I do. <laughs> ha, ha, ha. The antidote mm-hmm. to failed marriages, to failed relationships, to everything is honesty. It's authentic honesty, not just saying facts that are true, mm-hmm. but also sharing your actual feelings and your wants and your dislikes and your dissatisfactions, um, being clear about what your expectations are, really being honest about those things. That way, you and your partner can both be on the same page, right? And if you aren't, then it's time for that relationship to end. And that doesn't mean it failed, right? right? Because I was honest about what I wanted and what I needed. The reason marriages fail is because of resentment. There's all these things that were never said, that were never handled, that Mm -hmm. turn into rocks. And um, in in my kind of Christian faith, um, they talk a lot about when you become married, you become one, right? Become one soul, one spirit. Mm -hmm. It's a perfect union. I see that, right? As two hearts coming together as one. And divorce is really the result of one of those hearts becoming hard. Because mm. once a heart is hard, right, you can't no longer have that oneness. And hearts become hard for a lot of reasons. And then know? the other heart's just beating for both of them. Exactly. And this tired. Can't, this can't work, right? Yeah. And this can't work. And to me, that's really when the divorce happened, right? The divorce happened at that moment when one of the hearts got hard. Mm-hmm. And the legal process, which is what everybody puts divorce with, like how you were talking about this, it's the contract nature of it, right? Mm-hmm. The, the ownership, this, it's, it's the legal, you know, parameters around it really is just a small part, you know? There's the, the soul tie, right? you know, and yeah, and the other parts, which I'll tell you about. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, that kind of blew my mind a little bit, just because, I mean, how, let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you kind of see some of this before you even walk down the aisle? You know, I mean, aren't there like, or or is this like that blind love we was talking about earlier? Well, there's a couple of things. Um, Yeah, there's a lot there. So let's talk about one would be unrealistic um, expectations Mm -hmm. going in of who the other person is, of how marriage will be, of how that's going to look. So it's just like setting yourself up for failure per se. It's not that you didn't see it. What you saw was what you wanted to see. Do you know what I mean? And then the other person, they didn't get the script. Do you know what I mean? So they're not saying the right things. They're not walking into the parts like you've scripted it in your mind, you know? And and so that's one thing, Um, those unrealistic expectations. And then the other is kind of blind love. And so that's my um, second story. Um, So it's part of his blind love. And the rest of it is broken people attract broken people. Okay. Right? And so... I'm not going to argue with that. Right, right. I mean, it's, you know, there's broken people try broken people. You have to be vi- vibrating on kind of a level, you know. And so the second husband, the signs were there early in the relationship that he was a little off kilter. Right. Oh, what do you mean by that? Um, Really uh, jealous oh, okay. and um, insecure fits of anger. Right. Um, what happened, though, is my first husband. So the one the first husband who left me to understand I was in a relationship with him for a decade um, and he left me for his boyfriend. So if you can imagine, it was a very kind of a friendship kind of a marriage that we had. It wasn't very sexual. Do you know what I mean? There wasn't that kind of passion uh, that you would have. Well, I mean, if. Right. right. I wasn't really his cup of tea. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I was his girlfriend, but like his Right. Girlfriend, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So like so that happened. So then when I meet the second guy who loves spending time with me, because you know, the first husband was having this whole secret life, you know, so he loves spending time with me. He has all the things that I look that I like in a man. Like he had a big heart. Do you know what I mean? Like he yeah. was raising a boy that wasn't even biologically his own. Like he had been with the child's mother when him and her broke up, he kept the son. From yeah, a different ma- a different marriage? Different no, just relationship. Oh, okay, a different relationship. Yeah, uh-huh. he, he had a child that wasn't his. Yep. And he was raising it, which is a very admirable thing. He basically took in mm-hmm. uh, and adopted a child. Exactly, which I thought was awesome. And at the time, I was working on my own foster care license. Mm-hmm. And so, like, he, he understood that, you know, so those things were cool. And then, like, he's really strong, which I like. And, like, he's an electrician. I like, you know, men that can do this kind of, you know, stuff with their hands. Who needs a brainiac? I can think for us. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when somebody can do the stuff, I can't do. So it was all these things. And there was a lot of passion. 
right? Because he is angry, because he does have these things. And so while they should have been red flags, and I'm sure they were red flags to my friends, I was excited to be feeling these feelings after yeah. having been shut down, you know, for so long. Right. And once I just was, you know, found myself in the marriage, <laughs> right now I'm just committed to not making myself wrong. Mm -hmm. And so I was going to force the marriage to work and to be right because I didn't want to be wrong. Right. That makes any sense. No, it does. Yeah. Yeah. So that was the second marriage. Mm -hmm. And where were you at in terms of your career when that happened? Oh, good question. So I had just, I was just off the run for judge when I met uh, Troy. This is my kid's dad. Mm. And I was working on that foster care license because of that. And so the practice was kind of, I don't want to say fledgling, but it was in a place where I had been kind of shutting down because I was going to run for judge, you know what I mean? Mm. And I was just restarting and then I got pregnant. So it was this kind of thing. What was interesting um, about meeting him is that, I mean, I was a full-fledged lawyer and had been for right all these years of my own practice. And... Mm. He's an electrician by trade, which is good, but he hadn't, you know what I mean, no college education. He wasn't even working as an electrician when we met. Like, he was literally mowing grass, you know. But I respected the fact that he was willing to do anything. Do you know what I mean, to really be working? Like, I, you know, I found a way to respect these things. I forget where I was going with this story. Um, oh, where was I in my career? So, yeah, while we were together, yeah. the practice grew. The law, the law practice. The law practice grew, but it did not grow at a rate that I thought it should be growing. Mm -hmm. And that was the thing that led me into the transformational space, right? So 2015, so I'm with him. We've got the two kids, right? Like I'm going back to the, like really the practice of law, running this law firm. Well, I'm going to mm -hmm. pause right there. Okay. I have a few friends that are attorneys, but I've never had this discussion with them. Yeah. Do you, like, you said it wasn't going exactly how you were hoping it. Mm -hmm. Were people basically just kind of, well, I don't think back, you know, they were using phone books per se, but right. they were like Googling and they were thinking, oh, okay, here's an attorney. Or was it more like a referral type? Oh, I got you. No, well, I have, um, I was investing a lot of money in like business coaching. Okay. And so the business itself, it was it was growing. Do you know what I mean? Like I had gone from me to me plus three employees. Do you know oh, what I mean? Okay. Like I doubled revenues and I doubled revenues. Do you know what I mean? Like I was I was growing at a, a nice clip. Okay. Um, but there were other people in my group, you know, comparison that were growing much. I got you. Fast. Like peers. That yeah. Are, <laughs> and that I was just, like, yeah, dude. And so it was an interesting thing because, like, in relation to the solo attorney market in Columbus. Like I was really, I was making a lot of money. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But compared to the people I was associated with, you know what I mean? Like I was the poor person. <laughs> so it was, you know, that kind of thing. Right. Um, but yeah, so I was growing it, but I wasn't, it wasn't growing as fast as I thought it could grow. Giving all that and you I were kind of like, oh, no, I'm good. I'm right. good. You had to put up that. Okay. Mm -hmm. I got you. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm trying to put myself in this eagle eye here. And yeah, right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Right. So it's like, right. Like I'm doing, I'm doing well, but I feel like I could be growing more. Like I have a really distinct niche, which was Christian divorce. You know what I mean? Right. Mm -hmm. Helping Christians get out of the marriages that God didn't put them in. When you have a market like that and I have, you have a good product. Do you know what I mean? There's really no reason for you not to be exploding. And so what happened was. Do, 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 what happened? Right. So I find myself at next level trainings here in Columbus, Ohio, if you've heard mm -hmm. of them. Yes. Right? Yeah. I know. I think the founder. Chris Hawker. No. Or Abe Abraham. Yes. Yeah. I love Abe Alexander. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. I remember yeah. that. Yeah, you know Abe, right? So when I signed up for that, it was because I was looking for a breakthrough in my professional development, right? The question is, what were my blind spots that was stopping my business from growing the way that it should grow? You know, so that's why I signed signed up for it. Okay. The training, incidentally, was August the 3rd through the 5th, 2018. August the 5th is my birthday, which is really kind of cool. In May, just kind of randomly at this workshop with my business coach, I came up with a bright idea to change my name to Christian Family. Okay. Right? Because I have the niche, Christian Divorce or Christian Family Law, and Ohio doesn't allow trade names on your law firm. So I was manning a law company, but what did that mean? I really wanted to be Christian Family Law, and the only way to be Christian Family Law was to literally change my name 
okay. Christian family, right? Mm-hmm. So in May, I had this kind of bright idea of like, a, this is branding, super bossy. You know, I mean, I'm down. I'm making the move. Incidentally, the name change hearing is scheduled for August the 2nd. So just the day before I'm going to go into this training room, mm-hmm. right? In the training room, I got to spend three days with the name tag on. So talk about learning your new name by immersion, right? So I've got a whole community that only knows me by the new name, which is super cool. Yeah. What I didn't know going into it was that on August the 1st, the then husband and I would get into our worst fight ever, and he would black my eye. What? Yeah. So now I go into my name change hearing. Like for reals? With a black eye. Oh, geez. Right? I go into the training room. He didn't mean to, with right? With a black eye. Right. That's the story now. Boy, I really regret that. Yeah. Good. Yeah, like yeah, it was it was ugly. Please, you know, so kind of like very ugly. And um, there's a sign on the wall in the training the entire time that says, "What are you pretending not to know?" Well, I'm pretending not to know that the reason my business isn't successful is because I'm a Christian woman trapped in an abusive marriage, and my message message is that Christian women don't have to stay in these kind of marriages. Mm-hmm. You know yeah. that disjointedness. I could never see the kind of success I wanted to see as long as my message didn't match with my life. And so, yeah, that was the real live wake up call. I went looking for business development, but I realized I had a personal problem. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. So that was the fall of 2018. Mm-hmm. Do you think that, um, I mean, was your husband at the time supportive of you changing your name? Or was that more of just like a professional thing that he's like, okay, yeah, we'll do that. It was it was kind of like, okay, we'll, we'll do that. Because I was in Vegas when I was making the decision at the workshop, you know, and I called him and kind of ran it past him. Mm-hmm. And, um, what were you in Vegas for? Just fun? You know, for that workshop. For it was a workshop. Start a second law firm. Okay. You know, workshop. All right. And, um, and he kind of says, well, I mean, if it's going to make us a million dollars. I said, yeah, it should. So then go for it, you know, (laughs) then go for it. And what I know is really awesome is because I've had a lot of names, right? (laughs) Because I have my maiden name, my first marriage name. I went back to my maiden name. I had a second married name. You know, this is my fifth name. You know what I mean? Of course, my life. (laughs) But I was glad that this name change wasn't associated with the divorce. You know what I mean? So like this was my name. And so when the divorce happened, there was, you know what I mean? Like my name had nothing to do with that. And that that felt You just kept rolling down the road, not looking back. You don't have to worry about changing it back to whatever right this is me and i'm pretty confident the new husband knows <clears throat> i'm not taking his name you got a new one not yet but i will <laughs> <laughs> i'm the marrying kind um so that was in 2018 now that divorce mm-hmm. i mean the first divorce was different because there was uh an unfamiliar feeling of well okay obviously i didn't do anything wrong because this guy would have been pre- pretending mm-hmm. essentially for a long time mm-hmm. even though it probably hurt you mm-hmm. it was probably a little bit easier knowing that it was at at some point i it helped me to not take it personally which is important right when your four agreements was to not take it personally but mm-hmm. it did make me really have to look at myself how did i manage to be in a relationship for 10 years right we were only married for three we were in a relationship for 10 years mm-hmm. with somebody that could keep a secret like that from me do you know what, I mean? what does that say about well he'd been keeping that secret for a me. long time though yeah that was easy for him yeah. until he was just like i can't keep a secret anymore mm-hmm. well what really happened in hindsight because you know everything is clear in hindsight yeah. is that his grandmother passed away mm-hmm. and that allowed him to kind of step into a, a freedom. He didn't have mean? to keep hiding it. Yeah. Be right. Mm-hmm. Um, so the second marriage when the Christian family took place, mm-hmm. he hit you. Uh, was that the first time or the only time or no that was the first the last time <laughs> yeah that was the last time it was the first black eye up until then he'd always like I mean he'd done really like um, degrading things spit in my face oh man throw things like very really like awful things threats this kind of stuff um, mm-hmm. holding me down and that kind of thing and his story was always well I mean I, I never punched you like really that's that's the like the that's what abuse is to right. him. Is it's punching, punching somebody, you know. And in a way that I never share, but I'll share with you because you know, um, and not 
minimizing what he did or even minimizing what myself did is that relationship had become so volatile. So I had blacked his eye a couple of months before that. You mm-hmm. know, it is a part of the story that I, ne- I never tell. Um, but he just was, I c- couldn't get him to leave me alone. Do you know what I mean? It was like an animal backed in the corner. So you got to yeah. leave me alone. And, and I came out fighting, you know, and, and I blacked his eye um, for his birthday. I guess he turned around and blacked mine for my birthday. <laughs> you know. Um, but yeah, like, it's not okay. Do you know what I mean? Like, why would why would I be this mad at somebody that I live with? Do you know what I mean? That I feel like the only way I can be heard is to use violence. What's wrong? Yeah. Yeah. So that divorce, um, it was probably. I mean, obviously, it was different than the first one. Uh-huh. But was it easier? It was. Oh, that's a mentally good question. and like emotionally. Was it easier? Was it freeing? Was it? Mm, it was freeing in that I got a peace kind of in my home when he was gone. Um, a kind of energy that I didn't how long, realize. How long did it take? He was sucking out of me. Right. So I made the realization um, with that weekend of August the 3rd. Right. Mm-hmm. That this was an abusive marriage. But I didn't know what to do about it do you know what I, mean? I just kind of knew this is bad and my eyes were open to it and so it's like now what i had signed up for the second part of the training the trainings really got three parts right so the first part's kind of identifying what the problem is the second part's breaking through it so i was like well clearly i'm going to go to the second part you know now this training is not about relationships right this no. is about professional it's uh emotional intelligence and okay. it, we consider it leadership training so it really is about mastering yourself it's about self-mastery mm-hmm. you know and so it works because some people everybody's life that makes it into the room is working in some kind of way like some people have a great career but their home life is shit some people have a great family but they can't find a job do you know what i mean like there's usually su- some area where you're not a 10 <laughs> here's here's your opportunity right to, to become a 10 in that in that area yeah right and so my obvious hang up at the time was the relationship mm-hmm. and so the second part of oh, with, mm-hmm. a, with an s well, oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah and that's how i feel about that but yeah right? yeah yeah, right. Right, right, yeah. Right, right. so yeah. this was a not an ongoing because there's only two it's, it's but not no, like... but still no it's a pattern a pattern is, is a pattern mm-hmm. do you know what i mean yeah. and um it takes emotional intelligence to be able to look at that and take responsibility for it ownership for what my part you know, was, you mm-hmm. know, in the relationship. Sure. Um, but yeah, oh no, your question was how long did it take, right? So the second, I didn't know. So I'm going back to the training. It's like three weeks later. The training's on a Thursday, right? Wednesday, he starts to fight with me because that's what he does, you know, in my mind. Because well, is you know, this after the black eye? This is after the black eye. Okay. Right? Exactly. Right, right. We've just been living all kind of awkwardly now for three weeks. Yeah. <laughs> which is really awkward, you know, just trying to make it happen. Because um, I know this thing now. Like mm-hmm. I'm, you know, aware of it. He starts this fight with me. I've had a weekend full of emotional intelligence training. So, you know, I'm like, shh, like I'm, I'm into this. You know what I mean? So he's coming at me with all kind of stuff. And I feel like I'm dodging the blows. Like I'm in the matrix. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. he's not going to get me caught up in this. I'm not going to escalate this. You know, and I'm feeling really proud of myself. But like he's coming at me with like everything he's got. And I see myself even huddled in the bed holding our sons. You know what I mean? Him coming at me. Just anyway, so the whole thing finally happens. Ugly, ugly, ugly. Finally on Saturday. Because I didn't talk to him Thursday and Friday. Finally on Saturday, I said, okay, I'll talk to you on Saturday. And he wants to pick up this fight like from, like like we had never ended on Wednesday. You know, he wants to pick yeah. it right up. And he then opens the door and he says, what, do you want a divorce? Yes. <laughs> yes, I do. And so I ran through the door. It was like a gift because I honestly didn't know how to get there. Do you know what I mean? Like I yeah. didn't know even as a divorce lawyer because it's still my life. Like I didn't know how to get from knowing I needed a divorce. Yeah. Do this, you know what I mean? This to, was uh... – yeah. This is IRL. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, this is like, mm-hmm. this is me this time. Right. Like, how do you make that move? And so it was beautiful. He opened the door and and I was honest. I was 100% honest that, yes, I do want a divorce, you know, as opposed to prior where I'd always say, no, 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 I don't want a divorce because I was so committed, mm-hmm. right, to not being divorced. And dear God, who wants to be divorced twice? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So ultimately, I got him out that weekend. And the divorce itself was final in April of 19. So it wasn't too bad. Um, But the question was, was it different? So the first divorce, he and I didn't have any children. We didn't have any assets. All we had between us really was debts, well, I guess, in his little retirement account. And it went to to trial. Very uncommon. Like, 
two percent of divorces really go to trial. Like, it's a very why? Because I don't thing. know anything. I've never been married, so oh, right. I, don't, I don't know anything about most. Um, it's because you so, couldn't agree on something, or well, yeah, yeah. So yeah, let me tell you this. Okay. Yeah, here's the little legal advice for you people. Right. Um, <laughs> here's what to think about divorce in a legal. This sense. is the meat of the podcast. Right. I'll put right. it in the notes just to fast right forward. Right here, to... <laughs> right here, right. Um, a divorce is a lawsuit against your spouse okay okay you're filing that's the whole thing right it's really a lawsuit against your spouse i'm suing says, hey, your ass i want out of this marriage contract exactly on these terms mm -hmm. okay and like any lawsuit there's only two ways for the case to resolve either both of the parties reach an agreement mm -hmm. or evidence is put on there's a trial and a court makes a decision and there's this only... is different from state to state no no that's that's the rule. There's only two okay. ways out of any any lawsuit. Okay. Is either there's an agreement reached. All oh, right. A right? settlement. All right. Or somebody makes a decision, right? Mm -hmm. And somebody will be the judge. And the judge can't make a decision until there's like a trial, a hearing. There's evidence put on. All so right. the judge has something to rule on. I got you. Okay. What confuses people all the time about divorces is they don't realize that the agreement is really what's supposed to happen. They're always asking the wrong questions. Well, what's the judge going to say about this? What the judge is going to think about this? Mm -hmm. It doesn't really matter. Because the judge is not going to be the person that ultimately, most likely, is going to be making the decision. And all of this stuff, you know Who's going to make a decision? The people are going to reach an agreement. Oh, so See, it's right? just... Like, an agreement is going to be reached. And agreements are reached, and I use the term agreement loosely, because generally what happens is, is one person... Somebody's going to say uncle. One person says uncle. <laughs> That's right. They acquiesce. Exactly. They can't afford to fight anymore. They're trying to be nice. Mm -hmm. You know, all of these different things. But that's... That's what happens. Somebody folds, right? <laughs> but that's how the agreement is reached. And okay. right, if there's no agreement, then then they go to trial. But most places don't go to trial. Most people can't afford ten and twenty and thirty thousand dollars to fight. At some point, right? As a divorce mm -hmm. lawyer, so like the the people have invested the money and you've been trying to be nice, nice, nice. And now it's time for a trial. A trial is a real live thing in and of itself. And so then you say to the person, listen, I understand you want to continue fighting over this, but a trial deposit is going to be ten thousand dollars. We're going to need ten thousand dollars to keep fighting this. Right. And then the person says, well, I'll have $10,000, but then you better sign this agreement. Yeah. Like, I mean, what do you... We can't go any further. <laughs> it stops right here. It stops right here. Do you Sometimes I mean? you don't get what you want. You can't. You just, yeah, you just can't. Well, that's not true. You don't get what you want if you go into it without having the right mindset about what it is you're supposed to be trying to, to do. Yeah. It seems like, I don't know, just from hearing people's stories... You know, because even though I've never been married, I have a lot of friends who have and family. And usually it's just people being bullish, mm -hmm. you know, just like, why are you doing this? Especially when it comes to kids. Mm -hmm. It's the emotions that are that are involved. It's like for 10 years, you never paid any attention to these kids. And all of a sudden. I want them half to. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's um, the question becomes one spouse is, is usually in this situation the person that's losing control right and you know not to label you know relationships with the woman's the victim the man's the aggressor because there are plenty of abusive women out there like, yeah plenty and yeah. not just physically abusive emotionally abusive do you know what I mean like mm -hmm. there's some bad broads out there I've met some but let me tell you mm -hmm. when uh 15 years ago when I split up with my daughter's mother I didn't have any rights because we weren't married. Unmarried father in Ohio. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The first attorney that I went to, she was like, well, this is strange because usually it's the other way around. Hmm. I have the wife or mother mm -hmm. of the child here and we're fighting against the asshole dad. Mm -hmm. And she's like, I don't know. I'm like, you know what? Go fuck yourself. <laughs> I'll bleep that out. <laughs> but I was like, you know what? This I don't even want to talk to you anymore. Yep. Because you're coming at me with this negativity. Exactly. And so the stepfather mm -hmm. of my daughter's mom. Okay. So step-grandpa. Mm -hmm. um, he called me. He's like, hey, Jason, go see, go call these people. Okay. So I called and the lady and the I mean, I don't I'm not saying that age had anything to do with mm -hmm. it, but the first woman was a little bit older. Okay. You know maybe jaded. It happens. Could could mm -hmm. be. And she was downtown here, just right by the courthouse. So she probably seen a mm -hmm. billion of these people. The second one was twenty five years old. Needed and fresh. she she was 
you know, like mm-hmm. she's like, Jason, you got this. From what you've told me, there ain't nothing you got to worry about. She's like, Franklin County is different, mm-hmm. you know, than mm-hmm. most places. Yeah, especially like little rural places. Yeah, I've seen a lot of dads get custody. I've, I've mm-hmm. done it. Mm-hmm. I have, uh, I mean, even back then, 15 years ago, there was two or three friends of mine who had their kids most of the time mm-hmm. that were the fathers. So, I mean, that was a very quick uh, settlement or agreement, mm-hmm. you know, because of um, the amount of involvement and maturity mm-hmm. back then. And it's grown to be uh, amicable and there's some good stuff there. There's still bad stuff, but they're mostly good stuff. So, I mean... When you finally broke free mm-hmm. of, especially the second one, which mm-hmm. was uh, yeah. very hostile yes. and toxic, yep. sounds like, mm-hmm. um, and you're on your right track to, uh, quote unquote, salvation mm-hmm. <laughs> when it comes to like these relationships. Right. What is what was the focus on your life? Mm. Not necessarily your career, because your career and your life is now something completely different than it was when you were trying to be running for judge, mm-hmm. when you were starting up your law firm, mm-hmm. changing your name, mm-hmm. going to these workshops. Mm-hmm. Um, you come to a realization, right? Well, really an interesting thing uh, that happened there is when you say my career and my life actually had become one. So the realization was almost like Sybil, always Sybil. Do you remember Sybil? And she developed the multiple personalities, mm-hmm. right, to kind of protect herself from the, the abuse that was going on there. I melded with my career. Like the me that was me mm-hmm. had almost was had died inside in a way that's really kind of sad. Like I was in, in there, but I had put on this new me that was just all career. Like I was my career. If you asked me how I was doing, I was, I would answer with how the business was doing. Okay. Like, yeah. Right. We had melded. And it, uh, I understand now in hindsight that that was me protecting, you know what I mean? Myself. Mm-hmm. Right. So here's something for me to kind of throw my energy into so I can pretend like, <laughs> This thing isn't happening. Right. Yeah. Everything's okay. Mm-hmm. So where did you end up putting all your energy? Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. So listen, this is why now I had to shut down the law firm. Like, that's the joke. It's, I don't know if it's a joke. So I realized, I'll start with the, the story. I got a story for everything. So I used to, I lived in this apartment, right? And mm-hmm. across the, um, you know, like little thing for me was this, other girl who like I the terrace. hung out with, right? Mm-hmm. A lot. And we had this other friend in the complex. Anyway, she had been talking to this guy off the internet mm-hmm. that um, from high school, whatever, and he was going to be flying in from Vegas to, to live there with her, right? What? So this was... It's, right, serious. right? Okay. And so her freaking you're like... apartment was a filthy mess. Do you know what I mean? And so as her friends, we were like, we cannot let this man fly, you know what I mean, across all these states to come mm-hmm. to this apartment and it's like this. You know what I mean? So we made it. So it's not just men who had a filthy mess. Yeah, no, okay. it was her. Right. And we was like, she couldn't bring a man into that. Okay. So our thought was, okay, this top odor is this is this litter box. Let's just get in there. She has a cat named Mumu. Let's get in there, do you know what I mean, and get rid of this litter smell. So we did in there. We got rid of that. And then it was like, oh, wait. Is that the refrigerator? Do you know what I mean? Right. So then there was a new smell, right? We got to clean the refrigerator out. And then it was like, no, oh my God, is there something rotting in the corner? So anyway, like each smell, when you removed it, you managed to remove It's like peeling back the layers of an onion. There you go. So that's what was happening here. Like my life wasn't where it was supposed to be. The top drama was the marriage. Do you know what I mean? And so like I got out of that abusive relationship, but I'm not still okay oh, crap, it's because I'm in an abusive relationship with this law firm, which is a freaking cash-eating monster as opposed to being a cash-generating machine. Yeah. Right? So, like, I'm putting in, I'm putting in at these hours, I'm killing myself to, you know, to pay other people to do all the stuff, all these people, all this responsibility. There ain't enough divorces On me, around. do you know what I mean? <laughs> Listen, right? Custody's all kind of stuff, right? Yeah. And I can't, but I'm not 
like you can't see it at my house. Do you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like the amount of money that is taking me, I have to personally generate every month to keep that thing going. And like, I'm not reaping the benefits of it. Like this is not healthy. <laughs> I become one with this monster. And so. And the, the monster was the law firm. The law firm. Yep. Cash eating monster. Now, do you think it was the law firm or was it the idea of the law firm? It was the, the law firm and me not growing it responsibly. You just weren't right for it. Yeah, I wasn't growing it responsibly. And I had got to a point where it was beyond me and it had taken all the fun away from it. All the, the parts that I liked mm -hmm. were not fun anymore. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I feel you. Mm -hmm. And you had to accept that fact, which was yes. probably like not very easy because you'd worked hard for it. Right, that kept being the thing, right? And I had it's all the this same as money the, the relationship that we're talking about. I had all this stuff invested in it. Do you know what I mean? And mm -hmm. how do you like, right, pivot and, and start over, right? Like I had everything You're invested. Like, Man, I got to divorce this shit too. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Right. And that's really the point. Divorce is really relevant to a lot of things, right? Yeah. It doesn't only happen in marriages. Right. Um, if you're in a relationship with a woman and you have a child together, mm -hmm. what you go through a custody battle is really just a divorce without a marriage. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. Still a divorce. You got businesses, business partnerships. Yep. It's divorce. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So where are we at? Like, okay, so are we at the podcast yet? Are where, we at where the did... Oh my God, so then the podcast. Yeah, so yeah, we're kind of at the podcast. Where, did, where was the TED Talk at? So the TED Talk was November of 19, and mm -hmm. that was me. That was the beginning of me knowing that the law firm had to go because it was limiting me and my ability to really have global reach with my message mm -hmm. because I was too focused on, right, the narrow area, just the people that I could help. And, you know, as far as I'm willing to drive, like it was very narrow. So the TED Talk was November of 19. So, How did that happen? <gasps> Listen. What? Okay. So Am like, I asking too many questions no, no, too quick? No, it's a great story. No, it's a great story. It's a great story, right? Because they're all over the place, right? So it all it goes back to the next level trainings again, right? Okay. Like, they have been such a part of my life. So anyway, I go through part one, two, and three. And then because I'm an overachiever, they have this other part, this facilitator and transformation, right? Like part four is kind of like the crown jewel of the training. So while I'm in fit and really learning how to use my oratory skills, right? Like in a powerful way, mm -hmm. like where I'm not just speaking to people to make them learn, but really facilitating and, and drawing people's emotions and making them feel what I want, want them to feel. Make you know, a connection. Like, so I'm doing this, right? Yeah. So I'm really, I'm, I'm working on this, which is beautiful because I had to break through all of that exterior, right? And really be vulnerable and authentic mm -hmm. to be able to connect with other people, right? So I have been threatening to audition for a TED Talk for a full seven years, right? So from like around the time that I got with the husband, mm -hmm. I've been threatening. But, you know, it would come up. I would see the email. I wouldn't do anything about it. Like, I, I will procrastinate. But this time, when it came around, I was like, you know what? I'm going to audition. And they were having live auditions, which was really cool. And so... Here in town? Mm-hmm. It was in the, um, the Idea Foundry, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. So go down there. Only the first, like, 30 people that show up or whatever are going to get to audition live. Everybody else shows in a video. So anyway, I get down there. I get to do the live audition. I'm watching the other people audition. You know, and some people have really good information. Do you know what I mean? Like, wow, that's interesting. And some people tried to be funny and I laughed. So you're in the audience. So I'm in the audience too, right? Listening, right? And then it's my chance, uh -oh. right? It's my yeah. turn. And I didn't have anything prepared because, you know, that's that's how I flow. You know, like me and Dave Chappelle, I'm just talking shit. So anyway, yeah. like, <laughs> so I get up there and... The way I interacted with the crowd, the energy, the the flow, mm -hmm. all of a sudden I was like, oh, this is working. You know, like <laughs> this training is power. And yeah. so like it just it, it felt so good. And I know that's where I was supposed to be, you know. And so then the TED Talk happened. And when I was on that stage and the, the energy. What kind of people were at the TED Talk? Um, and that audience, I don't freaking know i mean was it uh invitation or was it just people that usually go to these things i think it's who they usually go yeah they okay. buy the tickets okay mm -hmm. yeah yeah and um yeah it's like yeah, it was a cool audience have yeah. you done much public speaking before that yes and no mm -hmm. so like nothing paid yet but just yet i'm answering because somebody's going to listen to this and discover me you know i'm trying to be discovered um <laughs> <laughs> i discovered you yes right but yeah now speaking is that that's my that is my jam do you know what I mean? It's yeah. Like getting in front of people. You're, you're and pretty good at it. Them. I can tell you that much. Thanks. 
<laughs> and things. But yeah, yeah, that's my jam. Uh-huh. But it was up there on the stage and feeling the energy from the people and getting the feedback from the people that I knew I needed to get out of that law firm. And so yeah. that was the November of 19. And of course, my business coaches were all like, no, but you got all this money invested in here. You got all this money. You know, it kept being this thing with this money. You got all this yeah. money invested in here. But you know what? You can invest your money in something else. How about that? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, whatever, everything I've learned is not a loss. Do you know what I mean? Like, building a business is building a business. Mm-hmm. Do you know? Like, I can have this information now. I can build a new business. And so that's what we're doing. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> that's what we're doing. So, oh, so the podcast, though. Oh, so the podcast is because both of my parents live with me mm-hmm. and they've been divorced for like 36 years. Right. So my dad was there first. Um, he's been with me for like five years. Like he's on dialysis three days a week and like he had this bowel cancer. But other than that, he's perfectly healthy. Do you know what I mean? Like so yeah. he's, he's my dad. He's good with the kids. My mom had finally realized she was tired of living alone. And so she was like, so she always thought she'd come live Did with me. Did she ever remarry? She remarried once. My dad remarried twice. We're a marrying family. Between us, mm-hmm. we got like seven divorces. I know divorce. I, I just saw some rice fall out of right. here. <laughs> there <laughs> we were the marrying kind. Yeah. They would both get married again if somebody would have them. Not to each other. But you know what I mean? Like, right. So my mom says she was not going to let my father be in there, stop her from coming to live with her grandkids. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. so she moved in, so they're both there. So the impetus for the podcast was just really that because it's so funny. Like having them there is hilarious. Like they crack me up. And like my mom thinks my dad's an asshole. My dad thinks my mom's an asshole. Mm-hmm. They're really both assholes. Right. And it made me consider, right, am I an asshole? And hence the podcast, Asshole Parents. Asshole Parents. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, I think usually if you're a parent, chances are you're also an asshole. So this is what I'm saying. At least to one or two or three kids, right? At least to somebody, right? And what's cool about the term asshole parents is everybody reads it differently. Mm-hmm. Um, so some people go, "Oh, asshole parents." Psh, you think your parents are assholes? Psh, let me tell you about my parents. They're assholes, you know. Or some people think asshole parents. Let me tell you about my baby daddy. He's an asshole, right? Yeah, right. What's cool about asshole is it's always somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's never you. It's always the other person's always the asshole. So where <clears throat> where are you going now? Oh, where am I going now? So what I'm doing now is creating a curriculum that I call 90 Day Divorce, mm-hmm. which will take you from thinking about divorce to living in peace um, in theory over a course of 90 wow. days. Okay, you need to tell me about this. Right. So I have a kind of a theory Mm -hmm. um, that says that there are six areas of oneness um, that have to be separated out in order for the divorce um, to work, right? And the first, of course, is the hardness of hearts. We talked about that. Mm -hmm. Like, that's really what caused the divorce. As far as I'm concerned, you're divorced at that point, right? Then you have to stop being one physically, like like physically separate. People don't think that through, right? Because doesn't divorce mean I don't want to live with you anymore? <laughs> what do you mean by physically separate? Like, like physically separate? Like I'm going to be sleeping in the basement. Right. No, like get established two separate <clears throat> residences. Oh, okay. Like get your own address. Um, in some Wait. Mm-hmm. We need to back up a little bit. Okay. So if somebody is, you said the 90 day. So mm-hmm. on day one, mm-hmm. day one is actually like could be a month. Or it could be right. 15 years. Exactly. Right. Yep. So that day one finally comes and you're like, that's when I'm actually going to make this decision. Yep. Now I'm really thinking, right, like I'm count, I'm at a place where I know divorce is probably the solution, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of where I was right after the workshop. Divorce is probably where <clears> this <throat> is going to go. But now what? So the 90 days mm-hmm. includes making that decision or that decision has already been the made? The decision would be made. Okay. Right. Once you pick it up. So it's all like right. you're toying with divorce. <clears throat> do you know what I mean? Like you're toying with it, but you don't really know. Yeah. Um, all the lawyers are saying, you know, $250, $300 for a consultation. You go in there. You don't even know what to ask. Yeah. Nobody knows what to ask. Right. I know that everybody's always asking the wrong questions. Okay. Right? <laughs> so nine, 90 days. So day nine, the 90th day, you're like, this is it. So, right. 80, one day into it, then what? Right. So, you, then do you start talking about like, I'm going to, when do you communicate this with your partner? Ah, uh, well, it depends, right? Okay. My rule of thumb is, is you don't 
have to tell them anything. Well, it's got to be some kind of communication. Like, why is this person not living here no more? Right, and like, and that's the message. And that's the message in itself. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times, it takes planning. It's safety plan. People talk about safety plans a lot of times when mm-hmm. like a woman is like a victim of like real domestic violence. Yes. But you need a safety plan, exit plan, even if your if your marriage was healthy per se. Mm-hmm. You know, well, that's not true because healthy marriages don't end in divorce. But you know what I mean, <laughs> like. Yeah, let's clear that up. Healthy marriages do not end in divorce. <laughs> right. um, but just because it wasn't physically violent, there's still, you know what I mean? A lot of times there's still power and control and narcissism and this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So you got to make a plan to get out of there. And so you don't have to talk to the spouse about the plan. Just make the plan. Start creating a separate financial identity. You know what I mean? Like if you got money, stop putting it in the joint account. Start putting it someplace else. You know, don't do that with them. Make a plan for how are you going to move out. Sometimes people just have to move in with their mom. It's not that they want it to. It's one of the safest things you can do. But it's one of the safest things you can do. Pack up your kids and go to your mom's house. But then you safe gotta... and it's mostly easy. Easy, less expensive, but a lot of times it takes a lot of pride swallowing. Yeah, that's. I mean, you're talking about pride swallowing this whole time. Okay. Okay. You know, even just to go through the 15 years of deciding, you're like, okay, now I have to tell all my friends, my yep. family. Yep. And his friends and his, you know. So mm-hmm. I think I think a lot of times that's one of the reasons people don't That's and they just live collateral m- damage right? miserably exactly for their whole life afraid of the judgment the questions mm-hmm. right there's the guilt and, that's and the, the stigma shame. exactly you got it that you're trying to yes manage right. yeah mm-hmm. it's okay to get out better than okay to get out and it you might know what's be funny the right thing to do. Is, yeah sometimes people be like i've been trying to tell you this for a long time yes but you just would not even look at me. Nope. Didn't want to hear it. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't want to hear it. Can't hear it. You know? So the 90 days and then you got your steps. Right. Your steps yeah. as start breaking away. Yeah, you start breaking away, right? Financially, right? Building this identity. So these kind of steps. You know, there's practical information about how to go about moving out. Like I mm-hmm. tell people, you only get one bite at the apple. Mm-hmm. Okay? Anything that you did not take with you when you left, pretend like you burned up in a fire. Yeah. Okay? Because otherwise, you catch yourself a year from now, six months from now, in a divorce, paying thousands of dollars to fight over a couch or something. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, take what you're going to freaking take, and anything you didn't take, pretend like you burned in a fire. And you just have to go at it with that <laughs> with yeah. that mindset, and everybody doesn't. Oh, I left the first time. I left all this stuff behind. I was going to go back and get it. There's no guarantee, mm-hmm. right? You had to, under the cloak of night or whatever, leave this person. Do you really think they're around the house? J- j- mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, you kick some shit up. <laughs> right? right? Like, so you got to make the move. So there's that. And and the conversation about not filing for divorce too fast because everybody wants to do that. And then what they want to do is force some kind of a plan. This is especially with the kids. We're going to force some, we're going to write some kind of a plan. See, that's probably the hardest thing. And you, then you've, force you've the seen, people to follow it. You've seen all this happen in the course of your career, mm-hmm. which is decades. Yep. That's probably the most devastating part of all this is the kids. Yep. And getting people to understand <clears throat> that the most important thing is really the kids having a healthy, the best relation possible with both parents. Mm-hmm. Okay. And in some case, cases that means equal time. In some cases, that does make the most sense. Yeah. In some cases, it means keeping the child away from a parent who's toxic. You know what I mean? Yeah. The best thing that you do is write write letters back and forth with that parent. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. the kid gets to have the best relationship possible with both parents. And if you look at it like that, and it's not about you and the other parent, like, oh my God. So my kid's dad, oh, he didn't get them today, right? But that's neither here nor there. He showed up a few weeks ago and yeah, a few weeks ago anyway, at one point to pick him up. He'd obviously been drinking, right? Like he'd been drinking, smelled like alcohol, he'd been drinking, right? Mm-hmm. At which point I had to make a decision. And a lot of people would have said, well, don't, you don't send the kids, right? He'd been drinking, but I sent the kids, no judgment there. The kids were waiting for their father to come. They were excited to go with him and he showed up. Mm-hmm. Like he was supposed to. He didn't get drunk and not come, mm-hmm. right? He came. He came to get them. And I had to trust in my heart that he loves them and they're his kids. And if he drives away and kills them in a drunk driving accident, God forbid, that really is on him, not me. I'm their mother and I trusted their father to take care of them. That doesn't make me a bad mom, you mm-hmm. know? The other side of the story is is I make a decision to keep the, the kids home from their dad. 
not necessarily a wrong decision, just not the one that I would choose. Cause now, but now there's a scene. The kids are upset because they really just wanted to go with their dad. They don't understand why you're being a jerk, right? He's kind of volatile at the door. There's this kind of whole thing happening, you know. So anyway, my mother always kind of keeps me straight with that stuff because I said, well, mom, what do, you, what do you think? Should I have sent him, you know? And she goes, listen, if I had kept you from your daddy when he was drunk or high, you'd have never seen him. Thanks, mommy. Yeah. Thanks. Do you know what I mean? Like, and me and my father are very close. Like, he's not a perfect human being. You know what I mean? And he's, uh, he's downstairs like, shut up, I hear you. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. The asshole. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, it was, you get to make these decisions of how you're going to operate with the, with the other parent, you mm-hmm. know, like extend them courtesy. Like I tell, um, I have this one course, Co-Parenting Tools to Make It Work, which I should be <clears> putting on pretty soon. Where I give controversial advice, like if he shows up to get the baby and he doesn't have a car seat, send your car seat. Yeah. You know, don't, it just doesn't have to be a thing because I've seen them. Well, he's going to need his own car seat and he's going, why? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like choose otherwise. And then this is my last story on this topic because I love this one. (laughs) I love this lady so much. She was one of my best clients. She had 10 year old twins, right? (laughs) With a guy who they had shared parenting, you know what I mean? But he really only got the kids on the weekends mm-hmm. and it was only over, it was one overnight. So he didn't even take them for like two overnights, yeah. right? It was just, it'd be one overnight, Friday, overnight. But I want to say it was every Friday, something like that, Friday overnight. She said, undoubtedly, at some point on Friday evening, the daughters would call home and say, mom, we're hungry and mm-hmm. daddy is too. <laughs> Right? We're hungry and daddy is too. Mm-hmm. And that would like frustrate her, you know? And I was like, yeah, but doesn't he always come pick him up on Friday when he's supposed to? Have you ever got a call from children's services that your kids are at the school and they didn't get picked up? Mm-hmm. No. Do you know what I mean? The kids obviously love their dad. They love him enough to want him to eat. They called you. And if they know that you have it in your power to have done something about feeding him and you don't, you're the asshole, not him for not having the food. Mm-hmm. You got to pick your battles here. So what you really do is from here on out, when you send the kids, put some SpaghettiOs in their backpack. Do you know what I mean? Put some pizza money in there. Just, you know, stave this off at the beginning. Right. You know the man ain't got no food. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I've been there. I've been there. Mm-hmm. So um, the podcast is... Uh, how many episodes do you have? Oh, listen, it's very small. There's a whopping five episodes, and the first four was just me and my parents, right? So it's mm-hmm. me, and then it's me talking to my mom, me talking to my dad, me talking to both of them together. It is fun, though, just listening to the conversation. It's very raw. There's no editing. Um, and then the fifth one was actually a really good one about narcissistic parents um, that I did with Shay Robottom. She's like this LinkedIn kind of guru. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's it. It's really light. My podcast is kind of my um, pet project. Right. Um, my big thing now is I'm trying to get in front of everybody else's audiences. Mm-hmm. I'm going on a 50 podcast tour, right? And so... <laughs> so what's the official mm-hmm. business? The official business is... I'm using the term divorce coach. Okay. Divorce coach the is 90 the term day. that I'm looking at. There's a lot more divorce. in there that I feel like... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's there, there is a lot. It's it's to move you right from from thinking to because this to actually this could be like ninety days to just let go of something. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just not. I mean, I know your niche is divorce, mm-hmm. but that could be anything like grieving. I mean, you don't yeah. want to put a time frame on grieving, but right. at some point you'd be like, yeah, I get back to work. Right, right. That's true, right? And <laughs> grieving is important because it's a part of divorce too. And mm-hmm. it's acknowledging that that's what's happening and at least knowing it, that that's what's going on and being able to label it, knowing that it's normal. Yeah. All of those things just make the process easier. And that's kind of the stuff we cover in 90 Day Divorce because people just, they don't know how they're going to feel. They don't know what to expect. There's all this fear and uncertainty and to solve that. So what is 90 day divorce? Is it a, are you writing a book? Are you oh, doing? It's, um, it's a curriculum. Okay. So I would call it a uh, small group coaching. Okay. Or a small group coaching. Who is your curriculum. clientele? So the clientele would be career women, high um, functioning, high, um, yeah, high success women. Okay. Who are where I was throwing themselves into their career, mm-hmm. avoiding the fact that they're in this 
unhealthy marriage. Okay. And it is my intention to be the interruption, you know, like that sign on the wall was for me. What are you mm -hmm. pretending not to know? Yeah. That was the interruption. It's my intention to be that interruption that in these sign. women's lives. Okay. And it's hundred percent women. That is my target. Like not that it wouldn't help men, mm -hmm. but yeah, my, t my target's women. No, that's okay. I was mm -hmm. just making sure that was clear. Yep. Um, and, is it off and running? Are we... Listen, let me tell you, I'm still in the al alpha stage, you know, like okay. the beta like the beta program is coming soon. Okay. What's happening now is I'm in all this emotional intelligence transformational training, mm -hmm. and I'm still fighting my own subconscious mm -hmm. that is afraid um, for me to really be great. And it's... Um, it's the thing that the feedback that I've been getting the most is that the reason you're tired all the time is because you're so busy fighting success. If you just relax and be successful, you'd have a lot more energy. Um, but I spend all this time, you know, trying to be make it perfect instead of good, you know, instead of just providing the value, like getting caught off in the details. And so it'll be launching soon. Okay. Yeah. Wow, that's, that's, I mean, at the end of this um, workshop or the coaching mm -hmm. experience, is there like representation? Is that like part oh. of the whole? No, part no. of the thing would be just letting them knowing go. how to find a lawyer, okay. what to look for, being prepared really for the You just don't even want to do that the process. Yep. No. No, you're just done. Done burn that bridge <laughs> well I'm sure it's still there the bridge is still there but you're just real far from it mm -hmm. alright well Christian family the podcast is called Asshole Parents Yes. and is it on like Apple um, Podcasts like I'm not at Apple I'm on Spotify and I want to say Spreaker um, Buzzsprout is my host mm -hmm. I'm on Google Podcasts a couple spots yeah, it's fun, isn't it? Mm -hmm. I'm, I've been digging it. I've j I just started this like two months ago, three months ago. What? Get mm -hmm. out of here. You got a nice studio. This was all the beginning, like when the pandemic happened and nobody could do anything. I had time to prepare, mm -hmm. you know, so I mean, there's some money in it. But there's just a lot of hard work. Right? And which is why my goal is really to be a guest. So like my podcast is fun. Do you yeah. know what I mean? And I yeah, hope yeah, people yeah. listen to it because there's a lot there's a lot to be learned there in, in a mm -hmm. in a cool way. But yeah, I think my magic might be being a guest. <laughs> well, I mean, you seem like a very amazing person. If you can spin divorce into something that I mean nobody wants to get divorced. Right. You know. I can say some people don't even want to get married. True. But once you're married, mm -hmm. you know. That's exactly what you say. I say it all the time. Nobody wants to get divorced. Divorce happens. People need divorces. Divorce is a result. Yeah. Yeah. So let's hope the stigma is, uh, <laughs> let's deal with that. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, and get that out there. You see my mission. All right. Christian Family Esquire. <laughs> it's a pleasure to have you today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It was a pleasure to be here. All right. Focal Point Podcast for the Focal Point Cinema and Sound Company.